With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Because your history with pro wrestling isn't long, but it's rich, though. So it's it's, it's really really interesting. I, I love speaking with people with with rich histories of uh, of pro wrestling. So spe- before that, I, I remember as a little kid, uh, I, I was in elementary middle school, and I was a huge fl- fan of the American Gladiators. And oh I mean I, I I watched it every single week. This is what 25 years ago. I watched it every single week, the Joust, the Wall, the Eliminator, it all. So there's a so one of these weeks that that I saw it, you come on and I remember you I think it was um 
uh, I don't remember the I don't remember the particular um uh, the, uh, the particular the game where they would shoot the tennis balls which which what breakthrough and conquer right it's called assault it's called assault Ass- no breakthrough assault, and conquer yeah. is the football wrestling that's uh, right yeah, that, yeah that's breakthrough and tennis conquer ball. that's right so so yeah. the uh, I remember you I remember you coming out uh on the assault and you and Jim and I had something going on with that particular game. I think it was the Joust as well. But uh, no, yeah, Joust was uh, Gemini and I. Yeah, yeah. That, that Joust was, that, Joust that was, was yeah. never. Uh, Gemini was never defeated on the Joust. Assault right. is the tennis ball thing, and you go through a bunch of targets trying to hit the gladiator, or or no, hit the target above the, the bullseye. Gladiator. Right, right. With your yeah, own tennis ball. Yeah, that's, that's ball, right? assault. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or I, I, tennis ball, an arrow. Uh, a basketball, uh, yep. three Nerf balls. There was a whole bunch of stuff you had to go through, and this jet, this gladiator was firing, uh, firing new, brand new pen tennis balls at 100 miles an hour at you. Yeah, <laughs> wow. I think that was Ooh. the first game that I remember that I noticed you, um, and you were you were making some noise. You know, at that time uh, you were a little thinner than you were in the WWE. <laughs> But you were definitely making a lot of noise. So, so how? Uh, explain. How did you get into the gladiators? And just let's let us know about that experience. Well, the American gladiators uh, came out in a pilot, which the original gladiators was uh, Nitro, Laser, Gemini, a guy named Titan, and a guy named Malibu. That was the pilot. Mm-hmm. And then when they when somebody Samuel Goldblum or Four Point picked it up. The gladiators became uh, Laser, uh, Gemini, Nitro, and then the two new gladiators were Turbo and Thunder. Mm-hmm. How I know that is because uh, the gladiators itself had a nationwide search for contenders. And I think it was um, four or five cities, and the last city was Universal Studios, and that's where I tried out. There was about 15,000 contestants. And they picked 20 men and 20 women. And I went through the contender part. And the funny thing is it was uh, a show called, like, Inside Edition or Inside Report. And they were following the contenders at Universal Studios. Not only did I go through the contender part, but the producer, Akon Keller, asked me to go through the gladiator part to possibly become a gladiator. Mm -hmm. Well, I did it. And after a few weeks, they picked and they wanted me to be a contender. Okay, so Turbo and Thunder got the call to be gladiators. Uh, Turbo, 250. Thunder, 280 pounds. These are big dudes. So out of the 15,000, that's how I got picked. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. So, and, and they, did that come from, because you had training in law enforcement be, before then, right? Law enforcement, martial arts background, mm-hmm. uh, regular wrestling through high school, you know, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, played football, uh, baseball, you know, stuff like that. I've been very athletic. So that so that helps you, know, you with your 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 gladiator to to become an, a contestant. Just the the rigid training that you were used to. Before you know a lot of because a lot of times when people try out for the gladiators, they're like, "Oh, it's a big thing to do. I'll get to be on TV." 
but a lot of people don't understand the intensity that comes with the training that you have to do. So you are used to that. Yeah, uh, the American Gladiators, with all those events, if you check the events back in the year that I did it, you don't have to have strength. If you have all strength, you're going to lose, lose in flexibility and able mm-hmm. to think on the spot. You've got to have agility, you know, think fast on your feet. So if you possess a little bit of all these qualities, you're going to go to the top. Because I'll tell you, out of the 20 men picked, 19 other guys are a lot better than me. Mm. And a lot of people don't know that it took 10 hours to film one show. So what you see in an hour took 10 hours to do. And I think where I had better planning is that I knew how to psych up and then bring it back down and relax and then psych up for the event and bring it back down. So if you watch all the old shows, you see the guys come out of the gate hard, fast, but by the middle of the show, you can see them huffing, puffing, Mm -hmm. because they didn't know how to adjust their adrenaline level. And I think Mm -hmm. that's where I, I picked up a lot from point fighting from wrestling, from from just my little bit of athletic background at that time. Hmm. Yeah. The, so, how did that production go? If it, if it's a, a ten hour production, how did they fit and edit it into an hour? Well, well, a lot of it. I mean, except for the wall, everything has to be built. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hmm. Like the you know uh, the the walls okay, but you got to put the joust out there. OSHA has to expect it. You know, they have to get all the safety things. Uh, uh, a power ball, breakthrough and conquer. The pads have to be right. You know, angles of the camera, everything. So, and yeah. they run two seasons simultaneously. They run the, run the fall season and the spring season simultaneously. So, not only do you have a male and a female but on fall, but you have a male and a female on the spring competition, competing together. So mm-hmm. I, I think we got in like June 17th, and the show was over for us by July 10th. It only took two or three weeks to film a whole entire season, and we were held to a gag order, you know, that we wouldn't say anything till after right. the show aired. But you run them both simultaneously, and then at the end you have a fall champion and a, a spring champion. And at the last show, the fall and spring champion go against each other for the grand championship. So that's how they're able to do it. They don't call anybody back. It's all run right there at Universal Studios. Mm-hmm. And that's how they do it. That's what takes the wow. 10 hours. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. And, I, and that makes so much sense now because I'm thinking about how much props was involved in the Eliminator itself. You know, the, oh my the, gosh. The, <laughs> when you did the handle, climbing up that way, going down a giant slide. Oh, oh, Don't forget what? the reverse treadmill. Oh, you yeah, You had to yeah, run yeah. up the reverse <laughs> treadmill before you even got to the, the, yeah. the, the freaking handle. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah, and then the slide, and then the uh, yeah. and then the the yeah the winding, you know the the the, the handles, and and then wow, yeah the the uh, the zip line. Yeah, I'll, I'll and, tell yeah. you, I'll tell you how much impression it made. You had go, you had the reverse treadmill to the the handlebar thing, right to the balance beam, and they threw a giant blocking pad at you. Mm-hmm. And after that, you had to climb the cargo wreck. And if there, there was a guy up there, and if you didn't look good, he stopped you right there. 
If you didn't look like you continue, he wouldn't let you on the zip line. So wow. cargo net the zip line, the zip line down to the lion and the tiger, but you had to jump two, uh, two like hurdles, and then you got to go through a lady and a tiger, lady and tiger, and three doors had gladiators, one didn't, and that was yep. the limiter. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I was a huge <laughs> fan of the gladiator. Glad American gladiators is absolutely amazing. So did y'all interact with Adam Lee and Zonka a lot? Zonka, I got along with great because uh, if you look at the old, I rock. I, you know, when I'm thinking of something and I'm very intense, I rock back and forth in the chair, on a bench. But I, I picture myself going through the event. And Zonka, because back then with the first show, the, the contenders didn't have a locker room like later on in the season. We mm-hmm. sat underneath the bleachers where the, where the audience sat. And a guy would come in and go, okay, Rico, you got five minutes, joust. Uh, Craig Brown, you got five minutes, joust, get ready. And he would, and all of a sudden five minutes was called, and that's where you psych up to go to the thing. And Zonka came in one time when I was psyching up for an event. I can't remember which one. And he saw me rocking. He says, Rico. I said, yes, sir. He goes, I know what you're going through. He says, I used to do the same thing. He says, focus, and you'll be okay. And ever since then, he called it the Rico Rock. You can remember it on TV, Rock and Rico, because that's mm-hmm. the connection we had. I had more connection with uh, Larry than I did with Mike. Mm. Well, I mean, how was how was Mike Adamley just personal? Just just from a personal standpoint, was he like very business, very rigid? Did he did he interact with the contestants a lot or no? Mike was business. Uh, you know, Chicago Bear, former Chicago Bear running back. Uh, but he's sitting there against the Hall of Famer, Larry Zaka. So kind of kind of see that and all of a sudden, you know, because everybody's really want to see Zaka. You know, that Super Bowl ring, I tell you, is something to see. That undefeated yeah. Super Bowl ring <laughs> is a sight to see. Yeah, wow. And plus, he's a, uh, Zonka's a fellow Ohioan as well, so, you know, I, I, you I tend to favor <laughs> Zonka as well. Yeah. W- what do you think about Adam Lee going to the WWE? Was that was that a horrible move for him? Was it just a, uh, an opportunity to we'll, – we'll get to your WWE career uh, here in a bit. But was it just kind of like a, a last-ditch effort to just kind of – be in the the sports entertainment competitive scene or what? I mean, what was that? What do you think came behind that decision? And why do you think? I mean, from from watching TV, it's pretty obvious. But why do you think it lasted so so shortly? Uh, the WWE skin. Yeah. Slash ECW. You know what? I I, I or ECW. I can't mm. even comment on it because you know what? I never watched them. Mm. I can't even cut it, so I have no comment on that. Yeah, if it was a yeah, short he... stint or a long stint, uh, like I said, he was a professional to me, very businesslike. Uh, like I said, on the personal level, Larry and I connected more than Mike and I. Mm-hmm. And Larry and I would always talk in between while well, they're setting up, not setting up. He'd always ask me questions, you know, about my childhood, military school. Well, you know, but he did that also on a personal level to be a friend, and also that he can incorporate that when he was announcing color commentary. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. former this did this did that. 
where he was knowledgeable, you know. Yeah. But I felt the connection to Mr. Zonka. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I wonder what uh, I think he's uh, pushing seventy now. I wonder what his uh, whereabouts are uh, these days, as far as uh, from a from a business or professional level. I have no idea. I haven't heard anything about Larry Zonka for quite some time. Have you heard anything about his whereabouts? No, but I hope he's enjoying himself. He's got a new mm. nose. He looks great. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was one heck of a running back, I tell you. Yeah. That was one yeah. heck of a running back, and. Uh, yeah. He's a good person. Mm-hmm. He is a really, really good person. Genuine. I, yeah. I use that word to describe him. Genuine. Yeah, you can. You could tell. You, you could tell. I mean, you know, even as a, uh, a preteen and a teen watching Gladiators, you know, I saw that just, just from his. I mean, it was it was just a natural feel coming from Larry Zonka. You know, he he he's, he was used to the competitive scene. He was used to the football scene and and, and the combat scene as far as, you know, head-to-head combat and, and physicality. So just, it just seems like, it just seems, I mean, you know, um, Adam Lee was too. You know, he's, like you said, he's a pro football player too. But it, it, it was good to see, you know, it, it was like, it was like yin and yang, you know, so to speak. Yeah. As far as, uh, and the as, reason, as far as their dynamic. Well, the reason why it was yin and yang is because uh, I saw Larry do this. Not only with me, but with all the contenders, male and female. Larry reached out to them. He he sat with them during lunch. He sat with mm-hmm. them during breaks. He really tried to know all the contenders. And hats off to him for that. So it wasn't only me he spent time with. He spent time with everybody. And as it mm-hmm. got closer to the end, you know, because it's a round-robin thing, um, and in fact, uh, in the preliminary round, the first the guy I beat was John Adams. And I whipped him soundly. And then when I came to the final, because he came back through the loser bracket, I was facing John Adams again for the championship. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy knows my tricks. I'm like, what am I going to do? i got to develop more. You know, so, but Larry, like I said, sat with everybody, and he got to know them all. So when it came time for TV time, he knew something about everybody. Mm-hmm. And he brought it out in his broadcasting. So... You know, um, I remember when the pilot was shown, there was more emphasis on the gladiators than the contenders. And then when it got picked up, the producer was Aton Keller. And I don't know if any of you know that, but he produced another show after gladiators called uh, America's Funniest Home Videos. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. that was pretty successful. So the guy knows what he's doing. So Aton took over and he put more emphasis on the contenders and the interviews on the contenders so people could identify. You know, we had all walks of life there. And that's why I think the show became so successful. It's because mm-hmm. Aton personalized the candidates. It just wasn't these gigantic people stomping on the little man. You know, he gave us personalities. He let America know who each of us were, which made him care about us as we were going through the competition. And I think that was the success of the first Gladiator program. Yeah, yeah, I, I can definitely see that because there were little, you know, brief, you know, short, you know, video bios about you all, and, and it was, you know, it was good. Um, 
most of the time, and it was it was great. So so how was so life after the Gladiators? You got your uh, moment of of television fame by um, you know winning the season and coming short. I think you were in the in the grand championship. Yeah, I had, I had a concussion because mm. either the championship one night did the grand championship the next, and mm. the bag Nitro fooled me did the throw, so I went into my duck on the balance beam, and then he threw it, and it hit me on top of the head, gave me a concussion. So the staff said, uh, okay, you can go on and you can quit. I said, well, if I quit, can I come back tomorrow? He went, nope, if you quit, that's it. We pick somebody else, and they go. I said, I ain't quitting. So the next night I went on with Craig Branham with a concussion. So if you watch the show, anything at a height, I failed at, like the wall. Never fell off the wall. Always won the wall. I fell. Hang tough, the swing thing, the height, yeah. I couldn't do it. But no, I'm not taking, I'm not saying that to take anything away from Craig. Craig won. That was good. He did it. He stayed the course. The Cowboy did win. So, mm-hmm. so no excuses. But, you know, it's either you put up or shut up. So mm-hmm. I put up with the best I had. So, yeah. I mean, you know, win or lose, you know, you won the you won the, the the season, you know, and either even in the grand championship, win or lose, you know, a lot of people who know their stuff as far as pro wrestling can revert Rico Constantino back to the Gladiators, you know, and that was uh, a, a ten a ten year a ten year gap, just about, you know what I mean? So yeah, but you know, Vince, definitely... Vince played it smart. Mm-hmm. The reason why is why I think I believe. Vince let me keep my name is because ESPN Classic was showing reruns of the Gladiators oh, when I was coming wow. up. So all of a sudden, you see Rico Costantino on Gladiators once or twice a week, and then all of a sudden I'm on either Raw or Velocity or uh, SmackDown or Heat. You know, I'm on all of a sudden I'm on TV four times a week. Smart mm-hmm. business plan. Yeah. So. You know, and as far as what I did afterwards, yeah, very smart. Very smart. Uh, And what I did afterwards, uh, after Gladiators, I donated my time for the whole year to work with about 10 different children's charities in California. Mm. I was reigning Gladiator champion. The Orange County Register did a front page article on me. And I said, okay, I'm going to give back. So I worked Mm. with uh, Special Olympics was the best, cerebral palsy, muscular dystrophy, uh, Orange County Burn Unit, uh, Make-A-Wish, oh my gosh, um, Adam Walsh, and I became the, the D.A.R.E. spokesman for the city of Fontana, and uh, would go up there and do D.A.R.E. programs, and I got to graduate 10,000 kids at one time with the Indian, I don't know if you were this old, but the Indian, when they show the litter in the water and you show a tear down his face, you remember that Indian mm-hmm. on the commercial? Yeah, I do. I yeah. do. He was there with me, and we graduated 10,000 kids in Fontana, California. Wow. And then <clears throat> after that year, I wanted to probably, I thought I was going to be a good actor. So I tried out for Universal Studios, and I was in the Conan the Barbarian show. And I was the axe guy, Azura, and I got the role as uh, Batman at Six Flags. So I was the Michael Keaton Batman uh, with Vicky Vale and Joker for Six Flags. And then I was also in the Conan show at Universal Studios. Did a couple movies and stuff like that. 
and then I called it quits on that, and I got into the ministry. Awesome. So how long did you uh, how, how that how that happened? How did you get into ministry? Uh, I got born again. Uh, mm-hmm. I was going to Arizona, and uh, as I showed up in uh, Scottsdale, basically Phoenix, as I was coming through the lobby with this athletic, uh, it's called AIM, Athletic International Ministries. Larry mm-hmm. Kruczek, um headed it. So I walk in the lobby. I'm dressed in white. I have American Gladiator shirt on, my belt, and this and that. And Metal Arc Lemon approached me. He says, hey, would you be on my show tonight? I said, sure. So not really knowing what this was about, you know, I thought being Catholic, I was okay and this and that. And I got on Metal Arc show, and he started asking me questions. And I found out that I wasn't born again. So I said the sinner's prayer on TV and became a Christian. And then shortly after that, I joined uh, John Jacobs and the power team. And I started uh, going to schools all over the world, preaching against drugs, gang violence, teen suicide, teen pregnancy, and alcohol, and stuff like that. Because you can't say God in school, but you Mm -hmm. can do these feats of strength and reach the kids, and some were hurting, you know. And here I became an ordained minister during that time, took classes, school, theology, and I got my certificate through Church of the Rock North in uh, Texas. Wow. That's absolutely amazing. I have yeah. my master's degree in theological studies. So, yeah. I, uh, you and I can have some talks. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk after this. For we'll talk after this interview. Uh, I'm sure many times right. before, many times uh, again. So yeah, I'm I'm a fellow yes, believer. So yeah, <clears throat> that, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, and it's just uh, and it's great to and and it's great to, to just be be an example to. Those the the, the 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 people that you mentioned, you know, um, especially, you know, I, I am getting my PhD right now, and um, I'm really big into. I mean, from my from my upbringing, I, I had a very rough uh, upbringing as far as society is a standpoint. Uh, I can, you know, uh, this this uh, this show doesn't have time for all the stories that I can say as far as growing up as a kid and a teenager, but I, I have uh, my 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 give back is just uh, so I'm getting my licensure in in mental health counseling as well and my PhD in, in forensic psychology, and you know my give back is is just you know recidivism rates and and and, and you know theology uh, being uh, a, a very, I believe, and I'm doing some research now. There's not a lot of research out there, so I'm I'm starting to do research now um, on my own and and just digging and digging and digging. That you know, theology and recidivism to me they can go hand in hand to um, to repel each other. You know, so um, you know, I think with someone someone from uh, who was involved in their community, involved in their church. I know a lot of people who are ex-convicts um, and and can can say that from personal experience that being involved in church, being involved in their communities has definitely, um, you know, helped them as far as not having the urge, you know, to 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 um, to commit again, uh, to and is 
very, very helpful. So, yeah, th- th- we'll, we'll definitely talk, you, have to have, you know, off the air. <laughs> you have to have support. Everybody yeah, in some kind of life has to have support. Mm. And if you can be that light, no matter what it is, doesn't matter who you are or what you think you are or what you think you're not, you could influence somebody and help somebody by just being yourself. Yep. I mean, Absolutely. thank God you're getting a PhD, and thank God you're going for further education and further knowledge. But mm-hmm. anybody can be a, a mentor to anybody. Yep. And yep. it's just, you know, just don't think you're better than the other person. Remember where you mm-hmm. came from. Remember yeah, how you so, felt. Yeah. Not you Absolutely. yourself. But oh, yeah, 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 yeah. How a yeah. person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Absolutely. I've never forgot where I came from. And, yep. And, uh, I have a wonderful ex-wife who will never let me forget it. And I don't say wonderful <laughs> sarcastically. Yeah. I say it lovingly. I have a wonderful ex-wife who, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, who will yeah. not let my head get bigger than my britches. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're both raising yeah. our granddaughter. So we mm-hmm. still have contact. So mm-hmm. uh, she will not let me get too big. She always, I've known her 30 plus years. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's funny because I I am a I'm a rookie in the game. I've only been married five years and have two kids. Uh, actually, he'll be three in 31 minutes and uh, and seven uh, months. Congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. And you know, it's like she, my, my wife is is incredible, and she is the you know, it's like uh, I have a full time job. Um, I do ministry, I'm a full-time PhD student, and I have uh, my own radio show, and I write for three websites. <laughs> so it's like I do so much, wow. and she does a, a fantastic job. I thought I was job. busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, you man. put me to shame, <laughs> sir. <laughs> talk about twenty. Talk about 26-hour days, man. <laughs> it's, well, it's, uh, yeah, a lot. And I'm I say humbled. 26 for I a reason. I have just been humbled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah, and it's and she does a fantastic job. She's a licensed massage therapist, so I definitely get to, I definitely um got a very good perk by marrying that beautiful lady. So yeah, yeah, and, I'll tell you and, what. <laughs> I had a massage therapist for sure when I was WWE. I learned mm-hmm. because I started so late that take care of the body. And I had this yep. guy that was his name was Brent. Had school, and I'll tell you, the first appointment I ever said when I sat foot back home was go see Brent. And for mm-hmm. an over an hour, I got back into shape, you know, where I could do things I did every week. So, massage therapists are pretty high on my list. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And she, she's a, a top notch one. But yeah, uh, I think, you know, the never forget where you came from is definitely fantastic. Um, advice to give to anyone and I I tell people you know I say you know no matter who you are someone is always looking at you so never Mm -hmm. forget that you know what I mean and and so many people feel as if no one cares and you know from a from a counseling mental health standpoint a lot of you know a lot of depression comes from the feeling of isolation you know and and you know you know no one, everyone should always believe someone's always looking at you. So you have to be an example to someone somewhere. Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've well, had so many people come to me. You're talking to a policeman. Yeah. And believe me, everybody's <laughs> looking at you. It's yeah. not with their eyes, with their iPhone. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, I, absolutely. and I'll give you an example. <clears throat> when I was with WWE, I had those sideburns. Mm-hmm. Well, those were real. I just couldn't take them off and put it back on. 
So I had the mentality that every time I left the house, I was on. I had to be on because they knew that character. They didn't know myself, but they knew the character. Mm-hmm. So whatever I did would affect WWE or affect the character. And I didn't want to embarrass Vince and the company or myself. So I was always, to me, when I left the house, I was always on. Because somebody, like you said, is always watching. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how in the world did you get into the sport of professional wrestling? First of all, from from the medical field and, and law enforcement and ministry and charity work. And I think you were pushing 40 before you started wrestling. How did that happen? Like, who, who, how did you, who influenced you? How did that come? Where did, where, were you watching it? Were you working out with someone? Was it just another challenge for you? How did that come about? Well, I hope you made yourself a cappuccino. (laughs) 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 I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was bodyguarding. And I bodyguarded Pastor Benny Hinn for a couple of years. And uh, I was in charge of his security and his cat team and on-the-road ministry team. And uh, I did a few years of that. And I went into sector, private sector, and I bodyguarded for a family called DART, D-A-R-T. And if you don't know what DART is, just look under any styrofoam container, and you'll see the name DART. He makes about, I think... Now, quote me, but about 75% of the world's styrofoam. So I was there doing my stint with that company, and my brother owned a bail bonds company here in Las Vegas. And he asked me to come out because I was a licensed private investigator. I worked for a company who worked for Allstate and State Farm for insurance fraud, where I'd go out and film people saying, oh, I'm hurt, my back, my neck, oh, I need $70 million, oh, and I'd film them playing golf, doing the lawn, owning a landscape business, just doing what they were supposed to doing when I would get their claims and erase them so they wouldn't get that money under fraud. So I'd come back to Vegas and help my brother and with his business, and he was the best bail bondsman I've ever heard of. He just couldn't manage people, didn't have that gift, but for the, comp, for the business of bail bonds, he did. So he'd bring me in to, you know, uh, manage his people, do his files, do his paperwork, make sure everything was, you know, up and up. And I think he called me back a third time. And after I left, he called again and asked me to move back to Las Vegas, which would have meant a huge cut in pay, but it's family. So I said, okay, I'll come back and run your business. So I came back from that other bodyguard big gig in uh, Sarasota, Florida. <clears throat> and I started managing, being the general manager for his business. Well, he would go to California to this little tiny wrestling promotion called Empire Wrestling Federation, headed by Jesse Hernandez. He says, why don't you come with me? I said, I know nothing about wrestling. I loved it as a kid. Rocky Johnson, Pat Patterson, you know, Maya Villa, all of them, the Iron Sheik, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, no, the Sheik, not the Iron Sheik, the Sheik, mm-hmm. and all the characters. So I said, okay, I'll go with you. So I, it was in San Bernardino, so it's a three-and-a-half-hour there drive, three-and-a-half back, and three hours of training. So Jesse 
said, okay, I'll train you. So I trained a little bit, and I was there, I think, four months, and I became heavyweight champion. <laughs> and they used the gladiator theme. And then I stayed there and wrestled and did that stuff. <clears throat> and I guess, from what I understand, from what Jesse told me, he had a connection with Vince. So Vince asked for a tape. I think he wanted to look at Frankie Kazarian, but my tape went up instead. I don't know how that happened. And uh, next thing you know, I got a call from Howard Finkel. He says, hey, Rico, we want to give you a tryout, a 10-day tryout here in Stanford. Can you come up? And I was like, Howard Finkel, Howard Finkel. I was going crazy. He called me at the Bevon's office. And I asked Dara, I said, I need to take these days off. They're going to give me a tryout. He said, sure, go ahead. So I ended up going there. <clears throat> and it was Dor- the last Dory Funk JoJo. That's the last dojo that was there. And I remember sitting in the lunchroom. Dory and his wife were there. And I think I was sitting fourth or fifth seat down. And they sat, the first person, they'd introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Dory, it's my wife. And who are you? How old are you? How long have you been in the business? How many, or how many matches have you had? How long have you been in the business? That's the first major set of questions. And depending on what you said, how the conversation continued. Mm-hmm. So like I said, I'm fourth or fifth. They come to me. Hello. Hello. What's your name, Rico? Yeah. How old are you? 38. They looked at each other. They looked back at me. Okay. <laughs> uh, how long have you been in the business? I said, eight months. How many matches you had? Twelve. They stood up and walked away. <laughs> that was the end of my interview right there. Wow. <laughs> I was like, oh, I know what they're thinking. He knows somebody. He did a favor. Or something right here. And then I did the 10-day tryout. Cornette was there with Mark Henry and uh, Nicole Bass. Um, who else was there? Hmm. Well, I, I, well, I can't remember. But we did that, and on the fifth day, I caught food poisoning from the kitchen. So in between learning how to wrestle and doing matches, I'd be running to the bathroom. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And uh, for the last two days, we had to wrestle. So the first day was in Reading or Natick. We were with Killer Kowalski's group. So the first night I had to go against Mark Henry with Jim Cornette and his tennis racket. And uh, so I did the match, boom, boom, boom. And the next night was either Natick or Reading, and it was a tag team. And I did the match, and, you know, um, uh, not Tom, but uh, Bruce. Uh, forgive me. What's the other picture? Bruce came up and says, "Well, I think they might offer you a contract. I don't know." So all of a sudden, we're cleaning up and doing this stuff, and I started to hear Jim Cornette yelling profanities like, "What the hell? Who? What the hell?" And all of a sudden, I hear Rico, get in here. I'm like, "Oh my God, I'm fired already." So I walk in there, and he goes, "How old are you?" I said, I'm 38, and he went crazy. He said, I thought you were 25. I said, who told you that? And so after he got over that, he told me, he says, listen, I'm going to be going down to OBW, and that's going to be the training facility. Would you like to come down? And I said, okay, what's the pay? And he told me the pay, and I went, you know I got a wife and two kids. He says, that's what they're offering. I said, okay, let me get back to you. 
So I came back to Vegas, and I called up Yokozuna. And I met with Yoko. And I said, Yoko, this is what's going on. This is the situation. Can I, do I have anything, any leverage? Can I get a little more money, this and that? And Yoko said this to me. He says, he says, Bart, every anybody in this world will get their right arm and their left leg to get what you got. I suggest you take it. And I said, okay. So I agreed to the contract. Off to OVW I went. Now, how did Yoko, how do you and Yoko have ties? Well, there was uh, a guy named Buffalo Jim out here. He had a wrestling permission. Mm-hmm. And Yoko was involved with it. And I knew Yoko from here and this Buffalo wrestling. Because uh, when I was training in California and I started getting really serious, that three, after working eight, nine hours, driving three and a half hours, working out for three hours, and then driving three and a half hours back twice a week, we was getting taxi, not a little expensive. So I asked Buffalo Jim if I could train at his uh, wrestling ring with Yoko locally, which would save me some money and I'd get some great training. Well, Buffalo told me, no, I'm too old. You'll never get a shot. Forget it. So that's how I had to tie with Yoko. Mm. And then when I made it, Buffalo Jim started writing on my coattails saying he was responsible for me making the business. (laughs) Of course. And I went over there personally and shut him down quick. By then, Yoko had passed. So either Yoko would have done it on his own, but Yoko had passed by then. Hmm. Very, very interesting. So OVW, uh, you you worked in OVW and Heartland, right? And which one? Heartland, HWA. Oh, uh, I started OVW, then I went to PPW, and then I went to Heartland. And in fact, in 1999, I held the Empire Wrestling title, OVW heavyweight title, and the Power Pro heavyweight title. And then, hmm. then Heartland later on. But you know, I just Jimmy put me wherever he thought I could do good. Wow! So I just followed Jimmy Cornette's lead. Okay, go here, go here, go there, do this. Anybody would teach me, I would latch onto. Because I so, need time. So you have, so you have good stories. I mean, so most of your experience with Cornette is good, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, I love Jimmy and Sid. If it wasn't for Danny Davis, Jimmy, uh, doing what he did, Jim Ross, Stone Cold, you know, and I, I got to say it, and I've always said it, Danny Davis's core group, I'm talking Nick Dinsmore, Flash Flanagan, Trailer Park Trash, uh, Rob Conway, Damager, if he didn't have those core people, I wouldn't be what I was. I wouldn't. Because mm-hmm. those people helped me and trained me, because I was old. Like I said, I started at 38 and a half. Signed my contract, you know, 99. You know, I mean, I was like uh, your crash course into wrestling. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, everything those guys said was for my benefit. So my hat's off to Danny Davis and the original Ohio Valley crew. Jack Black, Crony, uh, Kenny Bolin. uh, My God, Kenny Bolin, we've had, he just brought out a book. And nice enough, he dedicated it to me. And uh, I think that's pretty pretty special. You know, I've never had a book dedicated to me. And it tells a lot of stories in there, but I'll tell you, 
it says a lot of Kenny and I, you know, me and Cena, Kenny, it's called I Probably Skewed You Too, which is funny because Kenny is one of the biggest hearted guys I've known. And if it wasn't for him telling Jimmy, I can make him a great heel. I mean, my career might not have gone where it went because Jimmy thought of me as a baby face. That's it. Mm-hmm. Wow, and of course the listeners know Nick Din, uh, Nick Dinsmore is of uh, Eugene and Damage is uh, Danny Basham. Yeah, Basham, right? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. So, so you elevated. It didn't take you too long, a few years, to get the uh, promotion to the main roster. Um, so, okay, <laughs> very, very interesting. So, it was the tag team division in the early two thousands were. The era was was pretty competitive. It was it was kind of the the end of the attitude era, going into uh, what what Vince McMahon called ruthless aggression. But even with that, there was still some there was still some co- co- comedy relief. And one of the biggest forms of comedy relief was Billy and Chuck. Uh, you know, yeah. they remind me they remind me of I was a huge SNL fan uh, growing up as well. And they remind me of the ambiguously gay duo. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and yeah, I mean like, and, and I and, and I was a huge SNL fan, so it immediately reverted right back to ambiguously gay duo. And so, how yeah. in the world did you get inserted? I mean, what was it about you that placed you as the manager of this very? A controversial tag team. We, we we saw all the the segments that they had over the the two years that uh, they were uh, a tag team, and you being the very flamboyant Adrian Street style, you know, uh, uh, character. How did you get inserted into that? What the, what in the world did that conversation come from? How did it spawn? And how was your take? Was it one of those things like, you know, it's just a job. This isn't really, you know, I, my my ministry and my my, you know, my stance and my dedication as a Christian is still important. But at the same time, this is a job. It's just acting. Was that your mindset going towards this? How did you feel being inserted into this? Very uh, <laughs> interesting wow. uh, angle. You, okay, you just opened a whole can of worms. Okay, yeah. how I got involved? Two words. Stephanie the fan. Wow. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Here's here's the build up to it. When I was there doing everything in OVW, well, Jim Ross, like I said, was the biggest fan. Cornette, Danny Davis, I did whatever they asked. And they were going to cut me in OBW. Just flat out cut me. He's too old. Can't do nothing with him. And, uh, and Cornette wrote a letter. And he, before he sent it to up north, Vince, he said, Rico, read this. So I'm reading it. I said, wow, who's this? He goes, it's you, you idiot. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> and he said some great things in this letter. Well, it went up to JR, and JR promoted it, and I got to um, wrestle, not wrestle, but have an interview at Louisville Garden with Stone Cold. And that interview went so well, and I got stunned and all this stuff. They said, well, you know, Cornet said, hey, okay, give him 90 days. 
let him go on the road, give him 90 days, and if you can't think of nothing, he says he'll go away quietly, no problem. Just give him 90 days. So Brock, Randy Orton, myself, H2O Waterman, got called up to do dark matches. And you can all see him on YouTube. So during one of the dark matches, I'm stretching. I think I'm going against Scott Levy, Raven. And as I'm back there, <clears throat> Stephanie's in the backstage talking to Jacqueline. Uh, uh, Jackie, Miss Jackie. Not my Miss Jackie, but the uh, African-American Miss Jackie. I don't, I, mm-hmm. I don't know who she was married to. But she was talking to her. And they were, as I'm stretching, they're pointing and laughing. I'm like, what the heck? Is my zipper down? My tight split? What's going on? And I'm trying to be cool by my own business. And they talk, and Stephanie walks away. So after my match, I walk up to Miss Jackie. I said, what were you two talking about? She laughed. Nothing. I said, what were you two talking about? Nothing. And I said, all right, nothing. And she goes, wait, Rico. I said, yeah. She goes, would you dye your hair bleach blonde? Sure, why not? Okay. And she walked away. So I go a couple more weeks, and now I'm at home. I have two weeks off, and I'm sitting at home the first week. All of a sudden, I get an emergency call from Finkel. you got to get to Ottawa. Okay. How? Well, we'll we'll get your ticket, but you have to leave tomorrow. Oh, okay. I'm on the plane. What do you want me to bring? What's it about? Don't worry about what it's about. Just, Just be here. All right. I'll be there. So go to Ottawa, and then... <laughs> They spring this on me. I'm going to be the manager of Billy and Chuck. There's one problem. I never learned how to manage. I learned how to wrestle. I don't know how to manage. So I go to Billy and I said, Billy, I don't know. He goes, don't worry. I'll take care of it. Do what I say. I said, okay. And I'll tell you, the reason why I was such a successful manager is because of Billy Gunn. And I ended up getting a lot of heat. Because Billy, Billy's a, a master tag team specialist. He's got that down pack. He can do it in his sleep. So, uh, thanks to Billy to help me out, and it got me started with the managing business. And I said, do you want me to look like them? And they, they switched it around. And they said, no, no, you're going to be the stylist. I mean, stylist like hairstylist? What? They said, no, image consultant. Oh, okay. I got it. So the first night I came out, I came out black on black. Black shirt, black pants. And where the sideburns came from is from Raven. That's how I got the idea for the sideburns. And uh, that goes back to a few dark matches prior. He goes, Rico, what do you like being, a heel or a face? I said, I like being a heel. He said, well, you got to do something with that face of yours because it's too pretty. He says, grow some sideburns or something. So he wanted me to grow sideburns like honky-tonk. And I'm like, well, honky-tonk already had that. I'm going to grow these god-awful things, and I'm a heel. So I'm going to make them look like, hey, that's the best thing in the world. And they'll go against it. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. So I come out black on black the first night. And we go to Ottawa. We beat the Hardy Boys. I spin kick, I think, Matt's head right off, or Jeff's head right off the shoulders. And I run out. So they win. They keep the titles. And then I asked Vince after I said, well, what do you want me to do with this character? You know, I mean, do I come out? Because black on black reminds me of Steven Richards after he left uh, Right to Censor. Right to Censor, yeah. I said, I want to – he left him because he was white and black. Then he went and did those tag team guys. I forgot the names. He was black on black. I said, I don't want that. He says, okay, just do what you want. I said, okay. He goes, flesh it out. Okay, I flesh it out. 
So I came back the next week with a blue YMLO shirt on, a black alligator pants with a black alligator jacket, sunglasses to match my earrings, and I started really taking it. I said, okay. And that's how it happened. Wow. That's how I got this. And I know it's the opposite of who I am in this world, which made it more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. And when we did this, Billy, Chuck, and I went and asked Vince, okay, we'll do this as long as we don't offend people. We don't make them embarrassed and stuff. And he said, okay. So we had kind of a creative hand in it. And remember the wedding, the Billy and Chuck wedding? Uh, of who who don't remember the the Billy and, Billy and Chuck yeah. wedding, especially at the well, end when, say, when Billy was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that thing had three different endings. I tell you that three different mm-hmm. endings, and we they chose that. And I'll tell you something about the wedding: nobody knew it was Bischoff under that makeup. They kayfabed everybody in the whole roster because when he came in as the minister, he came in fully made up. Wow. And this catered to him the whole day. And he acted like that old minister all day. He fooled everybody. So wow. when he said, wait a minute, did I hear myself say three minutes? Three Not minutes, only did yeah. the audience gasp, everybody in the back gasped. It was like <laughs> a huge vacuum in that arena. There was no air for like four seconds because everybody went, ooh, everybody, the back and the front. And uh, I heard people say, if that had been on Raw, that had been the biggest switch, sway ever. But because of the smart pages, everybody was ready for it mm-hmm. on Thursday because of the smarts. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was good. And that was my second promo ever. The first promo was when Billy and Chuck exchanged the ring. Mm-hmm. And that, that four-page promo was only my second promo. And I had to hit cues for everything else. That was the most stressful time in my wrestling career. Wow. Even though I had a chance to make it up, I didn't want to. I wanted to hit everything on the first shot because I had a live audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I mean, even though, it's, again, it's, it's it's so fascinating to, to see, to, to, to know that, you know, to, to really play it to the maximal potential and keeping Bischoff and kayfabe the entire time, it, all day long, he catering, absolutely amazing. Yep. That's see, that's that's he, to me. This even that's brought right. him food at catering. This even brought him food from the buffet table, so he wouldn't have to get up. And Rick wow. and Eric sat there and ate it, shaking his hand like he had the the shaking. Oh my God! And Stephanie was in on. Everybody's in on it. Except, you know, me, Billy, Chuck, Rosie, Jamal, uh, Eric, Vince, Stephanie, Linda. They were all in it, but nobody else was part of it. The makeup was done outside, and he got brought in in the limousine. He got treated like gold, had the executive passes, was in the green room with Vince. I'm telling you, they they kayfabed everybody. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. It was. Speak, speaking of Jamal, and uh, who later became Umaga, give us a give us a quick story of. And it's, it, we lost him so soon. Give us a quick story of of working with Jamal. Um, well, coming from a great family that he came with, I, I 
I mean, it was an honor to work with him. Rosie and Jamal. Uh, mm-hmm. Three-minute warning was brought in to kill everybody. And when Billy and Chuck, we did the wedding, they moved me over to Raw. I beat Flair in my first match. And they, paid, they put me with Rosie and Jamal, hoping to get the same heat back. And it did work <clears throat> for a while, but then it lost some of its luster. And I don't know why. Um, I still don't know why, how to get to that machine and get plugged in and hit that, you know, next level. But, uh, you know, Jamal was smart. Rosie was smart. We always talked. We always got along, you know. Everybody had an input in the match. Um, he was a true professional. You know, uh, it was a pleasure working with him. Uh, I don't have any bad memories of three-minute warning. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, he, for, I mean, just the Anoa'i family alone, you know, just massive people, but, you know, they, they're they like... <laughs> Massive, but gymnast at the same time. I mean, just the oh, just yeah. the agility. Oh, look how big those guys were. <laughs> yeah, oh, absolutely. Look how big they were. <laughs> yeah, and they were spanning athletic. forty years and, ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know what? They weren't afraid to put somebody else over, like we did. Yeah, Colbert. oh yeah. Mm. You know, they they yep. they respected the business. Rosie still does. Jamal would still if he was here, and I I, I tell you that was a bad year for me. Because um, my third brother, Dario, he died the day before Jamal did. So here I'm dealing with my brother's death, and then Jackie calls me and tells me he's dead. Now, who's dead? So I go, who else is dead? And she tells me, Jamal. And Jamal was buried in the same funeral cemetery as my brother. Wow. That was a bad year for me. Yeah, that had to be real oh. tough. Lose my family so, and then lose a good friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, so why were you released from the WWE? Was it a matter of because I know that I know that you had a really short babyface run. People started to uh, actually like your uh, just really outlandish character. It started to catch on with the fans, and you had a you had a short babyface run. How, well, uh, Vince, how, Vince told me, well, after three-minute warning, when they split us up, Hunter came up to me and says, hey, uh, Vince would like you to do this character. I said, what character? He said, Adrian Street character. I said, is he still alive? He said, yeah. I said, okay, well, i got to beat him. i got to ask his permission to do his character, and I want to find out what he did to make it successful when he did it, and I want to bring mm-hmm. it into the millennium. So... Um, I said, why does Vince want me? And Hunter told me, well, Vince told me you're the only one that could pull it off. I said, okay. So I went down. I met with uh, uh, Adrian and his wonderful wife, Linda. Uh, We talked for about 14 hours. And he told me what it worked then. I asked asked him what it would work here. Now they're going to make me a heel, blah, 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 blah. And for all his advice and stuff, my first year costumes were all made by Skull Crushers, which was Adrian's company. And uh, it didn't go over too well as a heel. It started off okay, but then I started, you know, I asked Vince, you know, after the first three matches, I said, Vince, how, how far do you want me to take this character? How far? 
because uh, at first they were going to give me Melina from ECW mm-hmm. as my sidekick, and I said, "You, know, you have Jackie Gator." When I talked yeah, right. to Adrian, I said, "I need, I need a blonde, you know, good mm-hmm. figure, good looking, innocent looking." And well, who are you thinking of? I told Stephanie, Jackie Gator. Oh no! Mm-hmm. And this is after Linda Miles and Jackie wrestled Stratus and Trish, and they bombed on Raw. Oh Remember that? yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, no. Jackie was on her way out because of that. And I said, well, I need Gata. I need Jackie Gata. Oh, no, she'll never wrestle. I'm not asking for a wrestler. I'm asking for a ballet. Well, she rock, 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 rock. I said, if you want this to work, I need Jackie Gata. Well, I'm not doubting Melina, but you know what? <clears throat> I need a blonde bombshell. And she says, okay, but she'll never wrestle. I said, that's okay. So they gave me Gata. And then we came out. And uh, I, that's when I asked Vince, how far do you want me to take this character? And this is Vince's words. Strap a rocket to your ass and take off. I'll tell you when to quit. I said, okay. <laughs> and then everything I did was thought up in a tanning bed. Wow. When I came home, I sat in a tanning bed. What could I do here? What could I do there? Dick Finley was a big uh, help. Dean Malenko. Chris Benoit, uh, you know, a lot of people put character into it, mm-hmm. you know, help me. I had ideas. I said, what can I do with this? What can I do with that? And they helped me. I was, like I said, I was a heel first. And then all the stuff I was doing started to get laughs. Well, this is like, well, I can't have a heel getting laughed at. So he brought with, uh, before WrestleMania, I can't remember which one, but I had Stacy Keebler and Jackie in my stable. They were going to wrestle uh, the other two blondes for a raw panty match at WrestleMania. So Kane came out. I tried to protect the girls, and they crushed me on Raw. Bang, 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 I'm down. So I'm gone for a couple weeks, and then I come back. Uh, I think it was Velocity first against uh, uh, Jamie, what's his name? Noble. The little, little guy. Southern guy, Jamie, Jamie something. Jamie yeah, Noble. that's the guy. Mm-hmm. Jamie Noble. So I do a velocity, and then my first match on SmackDown as a face was against Charlie Haas. And how I won that is I kissed him, and he couldn't get back in the ring. He was puking. <laughs> and the next week, we go to Canada, and we're going to wrestle somebody. Or no, they're going to wrestle. All of a sudden, Pat Patterson goes, hey, you too. Uh, how do you feel about wearing the belts? Like, what? He goes, yeah, I want... Rikishi and Scotty to go against you two, and you two go over. I said, how's that going to work? He says, you're going to be Charlie's mystery partner because he's up for the tag team titles, but he has no partner. I said, okay, here we go. And uh, we needed the knowledge of Rikishi for that match. And he was a majority of it, but we all put in our two cents, and that's how we won the belts. And that's Mm -hmm. how the Charlie-Jackie made a thing came along. That was quite funny because it's it's like a triangle. I like Charlie. Charlie likes Jackie. Janet likes me. And you never knew what was going on. Yeah. And the, and <laughs> Charlie was very homophobic. So every time I slapped him in the butt or tagged him in the pine, he would get mad and wrestle better. So that was the whole thing for me doing that. Uh, stuff. Yeah. I'd goof around in the ring and with like the Basham brothers, you know, throw him up for a flat uh, chest bump They'd be on their hands and knees. I'd get behind them and ride them like a horse. And Charlie, don't do that. Because he was serious. You know, and that's how we fed off each other. But, you know, 
That's how that works. Wow. And why it got released, I don't know. Uh, All I know is that I worked three years under my contract, and I asked for a raise, and I was met with, well, your character's not that popular anymore. I said, I just had the belts. Only reason I dropped them is Bubba Dudley hurt me in the ring in Chicago. We were going to be on the cover of the magazine. All of a sudden, I said, what do you mean not popular? And he says, no, nah, we're going to release you. You got 90 days. I said, no, you got 90 days. You don't give me a raise, I quit. February 2nd, he didn't refill it. I was in Japan winning the tag titles with Boba Cannon. Boba Cannon. <clears throat> and that's how it ended. So, so <laughs> you're like the, the, the 20th person that said, Bubba Dudley hurt me in the ring. Is he notorious for being stiff? And I'll tell you this right now. And if you're listening, Bubba, come here to Vegas and I'll tell it to your friggin' face. You are a spoiled brat. If you don't get your way, you hurt people. And you do it on purpose. Because he ripped my hamstring three times in Chicago. I told him I tore, and he kept going. He suplexed me, tore it again. And then when he pinned me, he threw my legs up over my head and put his legs on the second turnbuckle. I tore it again. Yes, he's right. Devon is okay. Bubba, you're a brat. You're a spoiled little baby. And I knew that when we went to Italy. Charlie and I had the tag team belts. And Bubba's there with Devon. We're going to wrestle in Italy. <clears throat> and out of respect, when they put the match up, I said, okay, what would you like to do, Bubba? You know, because he's been in the business longer than I have. So is Devon. And Charlie and I were giving them respect. What would you like to do? Bubba popped off. I'm tired of making the matches. You guys are the champions. Why don't you make up the match? And he was throwing a fit in Italy. And I said, what the hell? Like we really win these titles? What's up with you? They give them to us. You want to win a title, go win gladiators, you fat pig. That's what I'm thinking. So yeah. <laughs> he bitched and moaned. I looked at Dean Malenko. I said, hey, here, threw him the belt. I said, Bubba wants the belt. Give it to him. I'm not going out. What? I said, I'm not going out. That's it. Forget it. I don't want the titles. And I left. About 25, 30 minutes later, Dean came up with that fat little spoiled brat. He apologized, went out and had the match. Yep, Bubba's famous for that. And I'll tell it to his face. And I live in Las Vegas, Bubba. Come over here, and I will tell you. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard heard Bubba. I don't lie. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've heard. That's very interesting, man. You know, I've talked to Devon, and he's a great guy. But uh, never Devon is a wonderful guy. Mm -hmm. Devon's a wonderful guy. He does what he does. He's not stiff, but he's snug, but he doesn't hurt you. Yeah. I mean, and we did some stuff, Devon and I. So, no, you're a spoiled little brat. You were the fat kid in school, a jealous. And you never got your way, so now you're taking it out on everybody. Wow. I don't care where you are, Bubba. There you go. That's uh, that's uh, straight from the hip. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I'm not a sergeant anymore at this, the police department I'm in. Because I shoot straight from the hip, and people don't like to hear it. But you know what? Yeah. Rico is Rico. So I'll let you know, before everybody else tells you a rumor, two months ago, I gave my stripes up. Take them. I don't want them. I'm not going to be your puppet. I'm nobody's puppet. So I went back to the streets, 
and I'm a, a foot patrol officer again, and I'm happy as a pig in the slot. <laughs> and that's happy. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. happy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't have to deal with politics because I'm no good at it. I hated going to work, home from work, with a bloody lip or a bloody tongue from biting my lips so not to say anything to offend somebody. Yeah. Sorry. Ain't happening no more. Did it for seven years. Not doing it no more. Yeah, absolutely. So. Wow. Awesome, awesome stories, Rico. We really appreciate it. I was excited to, I was excited to, you know, I've interviewed dozens of people from WWE and TNA, ROH, and WA, and uh, over the past three and a half years. And it was something about this particular interview that I was very, very excited about because I just knew it was going to be rich with stories. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it couldn't have went any better than, uh, you know, a public call out on the pancakes of power slam so to Bubba Dudley. But it, it, there you go. I think that's huh? a fantastic. I'm sorry it had to end like that, but the truth is the truth. Oh, can no, I say it, something it, real quick? Oh, absolutely. Please do. Can I say, I'd like to say two things. One, it's been an honor being on your show. And I really mm-hmm. thank you. It's almost 11 years since I've been gone. And still people want to know. That's very humbling to me. And I am very thankful. And two, I miss everybody out there who was a fan of the character, the stylist, and understood the character of Rico with Jackie, mm-hmm. understood what it was about. I still get stopped in the street, even when I give a ticket to somebody. Hey, aren't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> you know, but I want to say I do miss the fans tremendously. And that's what I really miss about WWE, entertaining you know, uh, participating in the charities that they deal with, the Make-A-Wish, Read. I miss doing things like that. Mm-hmm. I miss people like Tommy Dreamer, Charlie, you know, Ray, Mysterio, you know, Rock. I miss, I miss you know, Undertaker, Dead Man. I can, t- <laughs> can I tell you one story? Please do. <laughs> okay, Dead Man. You know, that's the baddest man on the planet. And here we are in Pesaro, Italy. We do a show. We go back to the hotel. And Pesero's near the water. So I'm walking along the beach, and I said, ah, I feel like taking a swim. So from the lights from the hotel, I see a jetty way out there. So I strip down to my skivvies, and I take a walk, a swim. And I'm going out there. I guess it's shark-filled water. I don't know. So I go to the jetty, stand up. I conquered it, and I swim back. And sitting there on the beach is dead man with <laughs> a bottle of Jack on. What are you doing? And I felt like taking a swim. He says, get back up here. And we walked back up to the hotel together. But he was watching me take a swim. And he tells people this story, which is hilarious because I'm sitting there. And he tells it to my lieutenant when, I'm bit, when they're here. And I bring my lieutenant to the show. And he tells my lieutenant, this guy's crazy. This guy is a nut. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> Straight from The Undertaker. The judge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You ever been to wrestler's court? No, never been to wrestler's court. Never wanted to be. Oh, nice. And I always kept my P's and Q's, respected everybody. And, you know, I, I think if you had lived like that, you know, uh, put everybody before you, basically. You know, treat people mm-hmm. like you'd like to be treated. Golden rule. Absolutely. You know, I, as a police officer, I have that. You know, I, as, I do believe, and I really want to say a prayer out for those officers, any officer in America. We're under fire right now, and 
I pray for every officer and their family. Come to work and go home safe because uh, there's a ration of things going on that I don't understand and I've been praying about, you know, for clarity and calmness. And I don't want to see anybody die, criminal or officer. Yeah. You know, um, Absolutely. but unfortunately in the business I'm in, sometimes we have to make those decisions. And uh, so I pray for all our military. I pray for all our officers from this wonderful country and around the world for the job they do. And stay safe and everybody come home. Absolutely fantastic. Pleasure having you tonight, Rico. It's been it's been a great, great time and I'm sure we'll talk real soon. I hope so. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me again. A genuine Absolutely. honor. Thank you, sir. Have a good night. Good night. Bye bye. Good night. You are now listening to the Pancakes and Power Slam show by Crave Wrestling on Blog Talk Radio. Be sure to follow Crave Wrestling on Twitter at Crave Wrestling and join the Facebook fan page Crave Wrestling. Wow. Rico Constantino, what an interview. So many rich stories. The bubble call out, I, I, I promise you. We, we talked on the phone. I think Rico and I talked on the phone probably twice the past couple months. Uh, past, I think past the, the past month or month and a half, we talked on the phone twice. And, uh, yeah, it, it's it's very, very – I think, yeah, once or twice we talked on the phone. And, and I, I promise you, I did not give him a template. Uh, there's sometimes I give – you know, some of the wrestlers' templates of what we're going to talk about. It was a total blank slate, and I did not give him anything <laughs> that, that we were going to talk about, but that's what came out of it. That was so rich and was so amazing. Awesome time, Derek. Uh, are you kidding me? Episode 180 of Pancakes and Power Slams. We've come this far. The interviews just keep getting better and better, and I say that every week, Chris, and Pancakes Power Slam Nation. And it's tonight was just wow. I mean, the guy was just so laid back, wealth of knowledge about the business, and this is history. With we got a big synopsis of the American Gladiators, which I'm sure a lot of people didn't know. I didn't know until I looked it up recently. Wow. I mean, the guy—he's a stand-up guy. I mean, he was happy to talk to wrestling fans around the world, which is what you can do here at Pancakes and Power Slams. I mean, we have an open audience of so many people. We've got people in our in the blog that are just so dedicated to this show and it's just amazing but i mean he was absolute excellent interview chris you really hit the nail on the head with this one as you do with most of them but you know this one was absolutely just a gracious effort and tell he genuinely was just happy to let everything out and bubba ray dudley you better watch out if you're ever in vegas yeah Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's funny because we talk. We'll talk about that another time. As far as Bubba Ray's, uh, a lot of people saying the same thing that uh, Rico. But I, you know, I had a trigger button uh, when I asked him that because uh, I, I wanted to know. You know, because I've, I've inter- we've interviewed you know so many people over the past three and a half years but we never had that and all the all the interviews that i've seen so many interviews that i've seen from people working with bubba i just wanted to know you know is he really stiff because he's notorious for being stiff from all the other interviews that i um have have read i mean have, have seen read transcripts seen 
uh, and hurt myself. But it's interesting to, to to finally have someone on the show that says, yes, you know, what you hear is the truth. You know, he, he's notorious for being stiff in the ring and very, very interesting stuff. So real quick, you know, Raw was a, such a letdown. I was so, you know, we'll just go through the card and we'll talk about the uh, the 10 greatest WWE managers. I think this will be a two-parter. We'll We'll give the list. And then we'll talk about it more in detail next week. The ten greatest, top ten greatest WWE managers of all time. And again, this is this is this is uh, name recognition, but this is mostly based on their WWE body of work only. So name recognition is important, but this is based on their WWE body of work. So I want to make that clear. All right, as far as Raw is concerned, Baltimore, Maryland, Seth Rollins in-ring promo, as always. He gets boring chants because there's so many people that's realizing that the monoton- the, the, the monotonous Seth Rollins promo every Raw is just getting so redundant. And as the bore, as the Baltimore... Uh, chant, as the Baltimore chant validated, boring. And then, you know, we get Sting interruption, and then Sheamus, Shasha Banks defeating, defeating Paige, Roman Reigns and Ambrose defeating the Ascension. With no, you know, we get this cosmic wasteland, but we don't see Cody or, or Stardust. Very interesting. Uh, why family members appear on Tottenchon post-match. Um, Ryback defeating Rollins, interrupted by Sting again. Uh Summer apologizes to Rusev. What a just meaningless segment. Outcome Ziggler, Orton defeating Sheamus, and then the Wyatt family, for some odd reason, uh, comes and interrupts and, and attacks Orton. So are you basically, are you giving away to us that Orton's going to be the third guy? And why in the heck is Orton the third guy? It just doesn't make any sense. We're supposed to, what happened to the element of surprise? Orton, you know, we're excited, you know, to to wait for that third person. That's a good selling point leading into the pay per view. But for some reason, the Wyatt family just all, all of a sudden attacks Orton. Just doesn't make any sense at all. Dudley Boys defeating Los Matadores. Of course, uh, looks like they're getting a heel turn. There's r- rumors that they're going to repackage Los Matadores, so they're riding El Torito off. Uh, but uh, Fernando, but he gets 3D'd. Uh, Cesaro versus Miz. The Big Show appears and chases Miz away. KO punches Cesaro. Then we get the Bellas in ring promo, interrupted by PCB. And then Cena and PTP defending Rollins and New Day. I don't know if anybody knows, but there was some random guy that just jumped over the rail, and <laughs> there was a gif going around uh, that, that was that was horrible. But, you know, it was quite funny of the reactions of Rollins and then Cena uh, getting trying to get the attention of someone to have them stop. So, And then Sting continues to tease Rollins after the match and destroys the statue. I just, you know, I was so disappointed with what I saw on Raw. It was such a way to misuse Sting. Again, you know, I'm not going to keep saying the same thing. I probably eventually I probably keep saying the same thing really but um you know I'm not going to keep I'm not right now I'm not going to say the same thing that I've been saying before because it's not even worth it at this point but you know it was just a waste of using Sting 
He did not have to come to Baltimore. We could have had a week without Sting to just continue the momentum. And plus, Rollins is getting the shorter end of the stick, losing twice in one night, and just didn't make any sense at all to me. It was such a waste and such a poorly booked Raw overall. And then Rollins losing twice was not a good omen for not a champions. And then, you know, Sting playing a comical role. Whatever happened to the vigilante and the mysterious, you know, type of uh, crow type of character that we were so entranced in when he came after, you know, Survivor Series. It's 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 horrible booking, and it was such a misused spot for Sting, and I was just I was so done with it. I mean, it's. It was a throwaway role. It was horrible, disgusting, and evidently they didn't even try because they knew everybody was going to be watching the Ohio State Buckeyes that night. But uh, it, they could have tried a little bit more. But this thing, he's becoming a hokey character. Almost might as well have him bleach his hair and come back out with his, you know, pink and green face paint that he wore before he went to the Crow thing. And the Wyatts are all over the place. I mean, attacking Randy Orton, again, that just makes it obvious that he's a third guy. But, again, Maybe if someone blogged it, you know, they got to keep them busy. Because they don't have anything else for Orton, might as well involve them in something that's already there that they can attach them to. So, well, yeah, it was a big disappointment last night. But uh, it's, you know, it was just hard to see anything make sense of what they're trying to do. I don't think they even tried last night. It must have been monkeys or something writing the script because obviously <laughs> the bookers were off that night. <laughs> something, absolutely. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know what time it is. It is now time for the Flavor of the Week. All right, I think we have some time. The top ten greatest WWE managers. I think we, we'll talk about most of it um, uh, this week, and then we'll, we'll we'll go further into it next week. So, number ten. Is the Doctor of Style slick? And again, this is the body of work from the WWE. Okay, so you know people like uh, Oliver Humperdinck and, and Harvey Whippleman, they're mentionables, but you know they they don't make the top ten, of course. Uh, the Doctor of Style slick, of course, uh, we we know him from from many. Uh, affiliations, um, Akeem, uh, the, the Twin Towers is maybe one of his most successful uh, uh, runs as, as a manager when they were tag team champions. Nine, Captain Lou Albano. I mean, just the history of, of Albano and, and Cindy Lauper, and uh, just uh, his his connection with. You know, he was very instrumental in the connection with the rock and roll wrestling in the 80s. And uh, he, he would be on a lot of cartoons and and, and, uh, and television outside of the, the WWE. He had such a look to him that was that, that uh, was so captivating. I always wondered as a kid, how in the world did he manage to get that, that, that hoop and this cheek? It was just really, really weird and interesting. Number eight. Jim Cornette, of course, we know most of him, most of his, you know, in the NWO and the WCW, he'd, he'd be, you know, one of the top three. 
But WWE, he had a few stints, you know, with the Camp Cornette, uh, Yokozuna Owen Hart, and so forth. And then he had a very lousy stint with the NWA invasion with Jeff Jarrett and, and uh, uh, just, uh, Justin Hawk Bradshaw and uh, Barry Windham. Uh, but uh, that's his. As far as WWE, he's he's lower on the on the on the scale. Sensational Sherry is number seven. Uh, of course, Shawn Michaels. Uh, her her affiliation with Shawn Michaels, and, and like I said, uh, her NWA, her WCW career was a little higher. But uh, Sensational Sherry Sherry Martell is definitely there. Mr. Fuji, number six. Of course, you know him from uh, Demolition and My Okozuna, as we talked about uh, today. Classy Freddie Blassie, you pencil neck geeks. Uh, Blassie, you know, spans decades of being, he's a Hall of Famer, you know, one of the best managers of all time. Number four, Paul Heyman. Of course, him being his, his, the the mind of Paul Heyman and just the, the product, just the creation of Brock Lesnar says it all. We'll talk more about that. Uh, next week. Number three, Paul Bearer with his Undertaker uh, affiliation. Uh, you know, he managed Kane and, and, and Mankind as well, but just, you know, Paul Bearer is who made The Undertaker. Undertaker just coming out by himself would have been nothing compared to his affiliation with Paul Bearer. Number two, the Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, just his, you know, host of tag team champions that he's managed, host of single, singles competitors that he's managed. The Bullhorn, one of the most uh, notorious, one of the most villainous uh, managers, one of the most annoying managers, but the most one of the most memorable as well. And the number one, it's 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 a clear cut. There's there's no other manager better ever than Bobby the Brain Heenan, uh, Andre the Giant, uh, just Rick Rude, Ric Flair. I mean, just <laughs> just the you name it. You know the the all of the the legends and Hall of Famers that have been managed by Bobby Heenan is truly amazing. So uh, there's the top ten. And uh, Derek, which one stand out to you? I mean, obviously, Bobby Heenan is the essential manager that's ever been great wrestling. No offense to Freddie Blassie, who I think coming to a close second as far as his body of work, but uh, but Bobby Heenan, he was just somebody that he was always so spontaneous. He could hang with anybody, and he's just always cracking jokes and just, ah, I mean, the guy himself, I want to see him host Saturday Night Live or The Tonight Show. I could watch, I mean, the dude just had so much talent, just uh, with the oinkettes that he had on primetime wrestling, I believe, or with the Bobby Brain Heenan show. I mean, the guy had his own show, for crying out loud. Um, Jim Cornette, he's always been one of my personal favorites. I love his mind. I like his shoot more than I think his. Like you said, in WWE, his manager was, he didn't have a whole lot. You know, Owen Hart and British Bulldog, you had Yokozuna. But again, just overall, WWE didn't have that big of a staple other than his, you know, behind the curtain. And, you know, who else you got? Captain Lou Albano. I think those are like rubber bands in his cheek. How do you get him in there? But again, yeah, he was one, exactly. He was one of those faces, rock and wrestling. That was huge for wrestling. It wouldn't be what it was today without Captain Lou Albano and you know Hulk Hogan just taking that to the forefront of you know, mainstream media. So a lot of great names in there. We're going to talk a lot more about this next week. But you know, except Paul Heyman, Paul Bear, yeah, exactly. The Undertaker would be nobody without Paul Bear walking out with the 
with the urn, that, that mystique. He added that mystique to the dead man, and it just he ran with it. And that's pretty much Jimmy Hart, again, with the bullhorn, honky-tonk man, still the longest-running intercontinental champion of all time. And that's the, true. Jimmy Hart was there. So uh, with the Hart Foundation, I mean, it was just yeah, probably in the day, it was probably just it was between Jimmy Hart and Bobby Heenan as the two best. And the Slickster, the Dr. Slyle style, the Jive Soul Bro. I mean, That's he right. clock in action. I mean, he had a lot going for him as well. And just, we need to find him, bring him on the show. I mean, he'd have a lot of yeah. good stuff to say. Well, <laughs> I'm sure Slick would. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, uh, we we can't go a show without a trivia question. So the trivia question, we had so much packed in today. Trivia question, of course, uh, is who was the first person to bring out The Undertaker? who was the first person to introduce The Undertaker. Two things. Who introduced The Undertaker? Three things. What pay-per-view was it? What pay-per-view was it? Who introduced him? And uh, who managed him? The very first debut of The Undertaker. Three-part question. Three trivia questions in one. we got to have some trivia questions every single um every single uh, episode. So there's your trivia question for tonight. We usually have... Loads and loads of trivia questions, but it was such a, uh, a packed-up show. Um, next week is going to be the same. we got former AWA Tag Team Champion Jumping Jim Brunzel. So there, there's your – I was uh, asking you all to, to find out some uh, – giving you all some clues and uh, asking you all to find out who it was based on my clues. Jumping Jim Brunzel will be here next week. Just a slew of awesome interviews coming up, and we got another we got another interview coming up uh, down the pike as well. Great job, Ted DiBiase, Summer uh, Survivor Series '90, and Brother Love. Absolutely. Next week we'll talk about we'll talk about champions that was managed by these uh, these managers. So we'll talk about that uh, next week. Fantastic show. Thank you so much for just being here with us and having some fun with us. I knew it was going to be fun. It was definitely fun. This interview, I guarantee you by tomorrow, this interview will be tomorrow or the next day will be just, or even today, very, very hitting hitting the airwaves very, very much. So follow at Crave Wrestling, Crave Wrestling at Facebook. Happy birthday to my son, Elijah. Thank you all. Have a great one. God bless. Goodbye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.